Who knew better than the Jews of the Old Testament that God is a God of law and order? And as part of that, God required punishments to be equal to the crimes which were committed. Regarding murder, he had a provision for capital punishment. In fact, the nearest relative of the victim could avenge that death. But what if that death were accidental? Well, God had a provision for that too. Now with this and much more from Deuteronomy chapters 19 and 20, here's Pastor Jim. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Lord willing, today we will get through 19 and 20 of Deuteronomy. And we're going to continue to see Moses speaking to the Israelites and remember Moses at this time, he's 120 years old, and the Israelites are getting ready to enter into the promised land, and Deuteronomy means second law, and so they're going over what they were to do, how they were to live as they would enter into the promised land. Let's pick up in verse 1 through 7. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit that any manslayer may flee there. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in times past, and when a man goes to the woods and his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he shall flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and kill him, though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Let's pray. Father, what a blessed time. to sing these praise songs to you, Lord, to acknowledge you as God. And, and Lord, to, to sing to our Savior and recognize what he's done for us. Having received the wonderful grace and mercy, having received salvation. And now, Lord, we pray for your spirit to bring the truth of your word into our hearts, that we may, may be reminded that You're a God of justice. You're also our God of refuge. Lord, as it's already been confessed, we we are in great need of you, Lord. We, We need your word this morning to build us up, to encourage us, to remind us, Lord, that the earth that we live on now isn't all there is. We have a blessed hope 
that you, Lord Jesus, are coming for your church and you desire for us to be ready. And Lord, I pray in our hearts that we are. But we're here on this earth, Lord, and we long to live for you. So instruct us by your word, through your spirit, Lord, that we might bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the command is clear. The Lord would give victory to Israel. He would give them this land, and they were to establish three cities. And we already know from our study in Deuteronomy that on the eastern side of the Jordan River, there has already been three refuge cities. And so Moses, at the direction of God, is telling the Israelites when they come over to the western side, there would be three more refuge cities. And we have a little map here for you. There it is. It's the most colorful one I could find. So you see three on, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, three on uh, the western side from the north to the south, strategically put um, in, in accordance with the Lord. As they would enter into the promised land, um, they would have these cities all for the purpose of, you know, it might seem a little strange for you and I, but all for the purpose in case of uh, someone accidentally killing somebody that they would go to these refuge cities. And uh, in those ancient days, they did practice uh, goalism, or in the Hebrew, goel hadam, meaning the nearest relative would be allowed or have the right to avenge a death. And that would be an issue at times because the avenger of blood, probably playing on emotions and rage, would, without investigating the situation, um, act in such a way that there wouldn't be true justice and somebody would be wrongly killed. Um, and as we see in the scripture here, uh, the avenger of blood. And it's interesting that we look in this, we might think, well, why is all this important? Well, first of all, God commanded it in his word, and that should be enough, right? That's enough for you and I when God says in his word. Let's look at verse 8. Now, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he swore to your fathers and gives you the land which he promised to give to your fathers, and if you keep all these commandments and do them, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest innocent blood be shed in the midst of your land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed should be upon you. And so again, we have this cities of refuge, and I do want to point out, just as a point of application for you and I, as Israel was going into the promised land, you and I have been given a promised land. It's not heaven. It's to live the Christian life victoriously here on earth. And it's interesting that as God said throughout his word that they would possess the land, he also told them that they would go in and they would have to be obedient to him, not moving away from the word of God, being obedient to him, conquering the enemies. And here we have really a, a conditional promise. And for you and I to live victoriously as believers, we, we need to be obedient to the Lord in his ways. Amen? There is no other way 
to achieve victorious Christian living without obedience in the Lord, obedience to his word, obedience to his spirit. And so what we see here, again, why is this important? Because the Lord is a God of justice, and he's implementing this justice to his people as the nation of Israel would be ruled or justice would be rooted in law and truth. Law and truth. And you kind of put that to today's world. It's the same when you think of what true justice is. It is rooted in law and truth. Any nation that doesn't govern with a a judicial system rooted in law and truth, it's open for chaos, corruption, leading to a scales of justice, the system to be out of whack, leading to innocent blood being shed and justice not being served to those who deserve justice. And so basically, well, we know what we're saying here, right? (laughs) Without a foundation in God, there is no true justice. And when a nation has a foundation or moves away from a foundation of law and truth, it's headed for trouble. It's chaos, corruption, and innocent people get hurt. And unfortunately, brothers and sisters, that's where we are in the world today. But the very foundation that's being left is the foundation of God. When God is left, when God is left out in a culture or society, there's consequences to that. Now, if you're like me, I want to know, well, okay, what happens then? So uh, if you accidentally kill somebody and you, you, know, you go through these roads or all these, different, um, sit, these three different cities that were strategically put, if you remember on the map, from the north and the middle and the south, and as we read in verse 3, these roads had to be prepared and maintained. That was easy access. So God's serious about this. But I want to know, okay, so what happens when you enter into uh, one of these cities if you accidentally killed somebody? Well, I'm glad you asked too. Uh, How about Joshua chapter 20, verse 4? Joshua chapter 20, verse 4 says, And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and gave them a place that he may dwell among them. And so the elders would hear the preliminary uh, you know, disclosure from, from the one who is seeking uh, refuge, and then the elders would, would judge. And remember in Numbers chapter 35, 12, They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. So if the judgment was made and determined it to be an accident, that person would be able to live within that city, within those gates, and to live free until until death or until the death of the high priest according to the law. Now, Continue on then in verse 11. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies in wait for him, 
rises against him and strikes him mortally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with you. So if one was guilty of murder, there would be no refuge from for him and justice would be rendered. The penalty of death. And notice here that it says that it may go well with you. And so again, God is putting and, and Moses is sharing with Israel the emphasis that God is a God of justice. The Israelites were commanded to obey the plan of God for justice and saving innocent lives and punishing those who deserve punishment. And again, when, when this does not happen with a society, when we just say uh, open laws and do what you want to do and live how you want to live and not have any consequences, then society is fractured and really it's leading to a place of crumbling within. This is how important, and this is what God is sharing with his people, and we find the very principles of the world that we live in, our nation, these very principles of justice, of truth, and law. When you take away truth and law, you will not have true justice. Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Very interesting. But let's chew on this for a moment in spiritual application for us. When we think of the refuge city as the way of God. Remember, Jesus told his disciples on the road to Emmaus. If we remember uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, what scriptures did Jesus have? The New Testament? No, it wasn't, it wasn't in existence yet. So it was the Old Testament, and I love this. I love the way we read in, in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul, as he was led by the Spirit of God and his ministry, and how he would go to synagogues and he would reason with them, you know, regarding the Messiah, the one who was sent, that this Jesus who died and rose again is the Messiah that's spoken of in the Old Testament, the Jewish Messiah. He came. And when you and I get into the Old Testament, you know, God reveals his son through every book in the Old Testament. From Genesis to Revelation, we have everything about the Messiah, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in Revelation, not Revelations, Oh, it's a pet peeve of mine. No. Uh, <laughs> but what is the revelation? It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, this is, is God's story, what he would do t for the world through his son Jesus. And when we think about this refuge city, you and I can relate in the sense that we are manslayers. I can just hear it now. Jim called us manslayers. Well, in a spiritual sense, we are. And we run to the refuge city. You see, you and I are sinners. The Bible says we have 
all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's you and I. That's, that's everybody. We're also told that the consequences or the wages of sin is death. What's that mean? Well, that means you and I, we, we deserve God's punishment. We deserve to be, have received the punishment of the manslayer who was guilty. Because you and I and everyone stands before God guilty because of our sin. But we have run to our refuge city, that is Jesus, and we've stood before him. If you've confessed and professed Jesus Christ as your Lord, you have stood before God and you have confessed your sin. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one believes until righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you and I have stood before the God who is just, the God who is holy, the God who is right in all of his ways, and he looked upon you and I, with open arms, even when we were guilty before him, and he welcomes us in. God is our refuge and strength and always a help in time and need. I can't help but to lead us to Romans chapter 3. Turn with me if, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Right? The, the, the best commentary of the Bible is the Bible itself. In Romans chapter 3, you can either turn the Bible, because I like hearing the pages of the Bible turn in church. It's a wonderful thing. Or you can look at the screen. Beginning at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love the word righteousness. It really is a legal term. When we came before God and we confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, at that very moment, we were declared righteous by God. He's the just one. And as Romans says in 5.1, we, we have been justified because of what God has done, not anything that we could ever do. 
We can't earn God's grace. We can't earn God's favor in this setting. And as the scripture says, we, we all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. But those who have come before him, the righteous judge, we have been cleansed from our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, at the cross, there was a great transaction that took place when you and I confess him as Lord. Paul, later in other places, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so in a legal way, we have been made righteous. And what has made us righteous? But the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. So when the Father, the righteous judge, sees us after we have come to him, he no longer sees us as a sinner. He sees us as righteous. It's the imputed righteousness of Christ with the blood of Jesus upon us. That's how God sees us. He is our... you know, and then we have the avenger of, of blood too, though, don't we? The enemy. How many here has the enemy told you this week or lied to you in some fashion? And all of our hands go up, right? Amen. He's a liar, and he's prowling, always ready to devour. But praise be to God that you and I, we have been made righteous, not on our own standing, but on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we enter in, as turn back to Deuteronomy, and as we have entered into the refuge city, the Lord Jesus Christ, we too have entered through a gate. Matthew chapter 7, verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. But praise be to God that His Spirit, amen, has led us to the cross, and we confessed our sin before him, we are made righteous before him through the blood of Jesus. And two, just like the manslayer, being found innocent then, had a place to stay forever. You and I are safe in the place of Jesus Christ. We are secure in Christ. Again, not of anything we could do, but based on who he says he is, the promises that he gives to us. And, you know, we live in a, in a world that is dangerous without Jesus. I look back on my days before I came to the Lord. Oh, right? <laughs> but I could imagine living today not being a believer and not knowing God's word and, and, and knowing the days that we're living in. It's like uh, Brother Jim said in our worship time, you know, God's in control. He's sovereign. There's nothing going on in this world that isn't surprising the Lord. He, he's, he's the one. It's, all of history is just falling into place. And we're just blessed to live in these times. Isn't that exciting in a way? Right? Remind that tomorrow morning going to work on 275 at rush hour, right? It's blessed to be living today, Lord. But it is, it should be exciting as we see the prophetic events of history fall out right before us in such a rapid place that we might be the ones, we might be the ones to be taken out of this world and meet Jesus Christ in the air. I don't think none of us are going to be prideful. I might be because I do have a lot of pride in me, but Lord, we were the ones. Thank you. (laughs) But God is in control. And we see here how important it is when we understand God is who he says he is. He is a God of justice, but he's also a God of refuge. 
And as you profess Jesus Christ, you've entered into him being our refuge, our strength, our life. Verse 14 says, You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set, and your inheritance, which you will inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, this is interesting. A lot of times our Bibles are broken down and you have headings. And this verse, in my Bible, it's just one verse. But it's all really all connected. I'm like, Lord, did you really need to tell the Israelites not to move the boundaries? Isn't that stealing and cheating and, and, and just not being content on what you've given them? Well, yes, that's exactly what it is. It just speaks of man's heart. Where, uh, as man, and especially in the natural, just discontented, always trying to get ahead no matter by what means or who we might trample over. But here God, again, he's a, he's a God of justice. He's a God of truth and law. Verse 15 then says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then most men... Both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness who has testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, life shall be for life, and eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So as we've gone through the Old Testament in these last uh, year or so, through you know, going through the law, we, this is nothing new for us to hear. And certainly God, again, establishing himself as God of justice, that there would be, uh, you know, two or three witnesses. Over and over we read this in the Old Testament, don't we? And simply put, there would be false witnesses. Just like today, there are false witnesses. But God is a God of justice. And just uh, looking back on Deuteronomy chapter 17, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people, so you shall put away the evil from among you. And so again, the Lord is a God of justice. And we see in verse 19, then you shall do to him as he thought to have done to his brother. Wow, that's justice. And wow, what if we had this kind of justice today? It'd be a little bit different, wouldn't it? Especially our headlines be just a little bit different. But if one brings a false witness before the elders, before the priest, and the judgment uh, that they brought, or was bringing upon the, you know, the false accusations, that punishment would then go against those who bring the false witness. Of course, this would be nothing new. We read of this in the New Testament as well against the Lord Jesus Christ where they brought false witnesses against him. So again, it speaks to the, the heart of the natural man. 
In verse 21, it says, Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So here, Moses is saying the punishment of the person would equal the actual crime they committed. And I'm reminded in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke of this um, when he said, You have heard it said, An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And so it wasn't as if Jesus was saying, we're going to forget justice in the Old Testament. And now there's a new thing that's happened in the New Testament. Jesus was not saying that. It's two different contexts. And the Old Testament is speaking of what we just read, speaking in terms of the judicial system or in a, in, a, in a courtroom, in a sense. Jesus was talking about how we treat fellow man. Jesus, as you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, was teaching the kingdom of God principles of forgiveness and grace and mercy, much different than what the context was as we read here in Deuteronomy 19. Continue on then, verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 20. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So, as we know, the Israelites were ready to enter into the land of the promised land, the land of Canaan, where they would engage in many battles against many enemies. And it wasn't if they would enter into battles, or excuse me, if, it was when. And we certainly can um, relate to that as well as we live on this earth today. We endure and go through spiritual battles, right? Spiritual warfare. And that's an absolute truth. But it's interesting here, in verse 1, Moses said, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. That was very intentional for Moses to, to say. And it's very intentional for you and I for allow the Holy Spirit to remind us just as these instructions were going to the Israelites, so too does the Holy Spirit give to you and I. It's not a matter of if we will go through spiritual warfare. It's a matter of when and how we go through spiritual warfare. And as we know, and as you've already confessed by raising your hands, the enemy exists. He brings forth lies to us. How many have doubted their salvation in the last month? We have one honest person here today. Two. Ah, there's three. Now we're going. Praise the Lord. No, that enemy does that. And we don't have to be super spiritual and say, I never would allow that to happen because it happens. 
He gets us to a place where we ponder and think and chew on, you know, is this real? Not that it happens all the time, but if we're honest, Satan has done this in our walk with the Lord, right? The greatest evidence of your life is that he's brought you out of Egypt. Think back upon your life before you came to Jesus. Look at your life now. Case closed. Satan's a liar. God is on the throne. You are one of the Lord Jesus Christ's son or daughter. You are his. That's just absolute truth. And it's absolute evidence. Obviously, the enemy is a liar, but God wants us to remember these things. And for Israel to be reminded that it was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt, remember the great redemption that they had from Egypt, going through the the Red Sea and seeing God deliver them. And great for Moses to be be that leader. And now him sharing here uh, with them, encouraging them. Now notice also in verses 2 through 4, it was the priest who was to encourage the soldiers of God to trust in the Lord and not to be afraid. And he is reminding them that the Lord was with them. You know, I get convicted when I pray, Lord, be with me today. Or Lord, be with them today. Because he's always with us. We, we, we don't have to pray for that. Now, we do need to acknowledge that. Lord, show me that you're with me in magnificent ways that would glorify you. But we don't have to pray, Lord, be with me today. He's with us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The presence of Jesus Christ in us, the hope of all glory. He's with us. But it's interesting that we do need to be reminded. Again, we're not, we're not super Joe Christians. If your name's Joe, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> need to be careful these days. But we do need to be reminded that the Lord is with us, remind us of the truth of what he's done, remind us of the promises that he's given us, reminds us of the mission that we have here on earth. Look at verse 5. Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. And what man is there who has betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. And the officer shall speak further to the people and say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So this is interesting. If you had a new home, you didn't go to the battlefield. If you had a vineyard that had not yet been harvested, you didn't go into the battlefield. You didn't go to war. If you were fearful, you would not go into the battle. You would not go into war. So it's apparent that God did not want the soldiers who would be distracted by various things of this world to go into battle. Now, there's two sides to what you could take of this. Is God rebuking them or is God just laying out the facts? I kind of tend to believe that God's just laying out the facts because you do not want an army that could be influenced by fear 
to be distracted by the things at home. And the truth of the matter is, God doesn't need but very many to bring victory. As we live on this earth, as we are on the battlefield for the Lord, it's important that we're not distracted. Jesus invited those to follow him. And there would be those that, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus would tell them how how far they would fall short in doing that. Because the things of this world, the procrastination, all those things, that we're human, we deal with those things, and the Lord knows. But we're also encouraged not to be distracted. We're to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things would be added unto us. It's so easy to be distracted and taken away from the focus of the Lord. And so thinking about this this morning and praying and praying for all of us as, as a church, Psalm 34, 4 came to my mind. And I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. When we do get distracted and we do get pulled away from the Lord, we need to run back to him. We need to run to him and call out to him. He's the one that will give us peace. He'll the one that give us strength and wisdom. And it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Through anything of this world. And that's why we're encouraged by the word of God. As Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And it's important that we recognize living on a battlefield, living in these days that we're living in. It's easy to be distracted and disgruntled, guilty. It's easy, but we need to run to the Lord. And then verse thir- uh, excuse me, 9, it says, And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. Now, if I was getting the army ready... I would have captains and commanders first. But Lord, in his great wisdom, uh, those that are fearful and distracted on the things of this world, they were just, you know, they stayed home. And then we see here that captains and commanders were put into place. And it reminds me when we think of our individual lives and families and ministries and the workplace, how important it is that we need captains, leaders, Think about the family. You know, many people will point to one of the greatest struggles in our own nation is the decline of spiritual leadership in the home. And maybe not even, you know, not even spiritual leadership, but just the harmony of a man leading the home as God's designed. And when that gets broke down, families struggle. When families struggle and that, does, that harmony is broken, then all of that society or culture will struggle. And we've seen that. We've witnessed that. We've experienced that. But a challenge for men of God to, to be the leaders of your home, to be following the Lord Jesus Christ, to be obedient to him in all of our ways, in all his ways, 
And then what about the workplace? God has you right there where he wants you to be a light to the workplace. You might be thinking, well, Jim, you haven't been with me this week. But just think, he's, he's got you there to be a leader, to be a follower of Jesus Christ that your light might shine upon them, to be a hope in that place. And then what about our church? What about our church? How important it is for, for leadership, men, not just one or two people or three or four, but for, for leadership coming from men who are following the Lord and to be leaders within the church. It's vital because the days are coming where we need leaders because the battle's coming. It's, it's going to get harder, and we need to be in it together and praying for one another, and lifting one another up, and being ready for the Lord with such great joy, but knowing we are here and we have a mission and a purpose. Now, what about the younger generation in your, in your place of school? I know school stinks. <laughs> I know it's not fun. I hear it a lot. But don't you have the same Holy Spirit as adults do? The same Holy Spirit that wants to, uh, to work in your life to be a light to others, that they might know that you have a hope that goes beyond this world. Oh, how God desires this leadership. Verse 10 says, And when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but war against you, then you shall besiege it. And where the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city and all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself. And you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are far, very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. So within the promised land, the land of Canaan, God continuously gives the Israelites the command to go in and utterly destroy all the enemies of the land. But the instructions that we just read here are instructions for those outside the promised land. And so uh, we see that in the promised land, God was bringing forth judgment. And while it might be difficult to read these things of uh, the characteristics of his judgment, he is a God of justice, a God of grace, and God of mercy. And so God understood that within the promised land, the Canaanites and all those that will read, that they needed to be judged. God understood much more than we can just reading the evil and the wickedness and how far gone they really were, where their conscience were seared. Look at verse 16. But of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do 
according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So there we have another angle of why God and His infinite wisdom had to have these ites utterly destroyed as they would influence God's children, Israel. And we know that's exactly what happened. They tried to serve Jehovah God, and as they intermingled and not been, uh, having been obedient to the word of God and utterly destroying the land, the people in the land, they would be influenced. And we can fast forward to our day and how important it is for you and I to not be influenced by the world that we're living in because there are consequences. The immoral, the wickedness, the evil, certainly God one day is going to judge it all. But again, the obedience to God for you and I. And we, and we, we see just, it's in, interesting to think, when, when God is telling them to, on the outside of the promised land, to offer peace. But on the inside of the promised land, they were to utterly destroy them. It's the same way in our life, in a sense. As we come to Christ, we're forgiven of our sin, amen? But we still sin, amen? You're in agreement that we do sin. God tells us in His Word we are to crucify our sin, to reckon the old man dead and not sin. And we need God's help for that, right? But we also know that God instructs us to live in such a way to outsiders that we would offer them peace, that would be a light. That includes the wicked. That includes the wicked. And so in a sense, we have, have this in our, in, uh, as a point of application. You know, Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then verse 19, it says, When you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Years ago, when we was on a mission trip in Haiti, we were in this um, little village where the church was going up, and, uh, you know, there was nothing growing in this land. And I remember Pastor Brian McDaniel said, he quoted this scripture, and I'm like, I've heard that before, but why are you quoting that? Because I don't see anything here that is growing. And... Um, I thought that was interesting when I, I read this here again. Why would God include this here in this passage? Well, it was you know, in ancient customs that when an enemy would come in, they would destroy all the land and all the, the life of the land, including the trees that bear fruit and food. But God, again, in His wisdom, telling the Israelites to go in there, don't destroy the trees that would provide food. And so it's just a way of God showing that you're going to use this for good and this way that God's showing this is provision. When you think about provision, we do so with thanksgiving to God. When we read in these scriptures in Deuteronomy, and I can't wait to get to, to Joshua. 
we'll get excited, won't we? But we're excited in Deuteronomy too because we see our God's nature and his character as he's sharing these things with the children of Israel. He was instructing and commanding them in a way that they were going to be victorious in the land of Canaan that he promised. And for you and I, it's the same thing. The same Holy Spirit speaking to them is the same Holy Spirit speaking to you and I. God gives us everything that we need on this earth to live for him. And I find it amazing that the worship songs that we sang this morning just absolutely line up with that God is a God of justice and he is a God of refuge. He is one that pours out his mercy and his grace to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you have never confessed your sin before God, I pray the Spirit would pierce your heart and you can simply ask God to forgive you of your sin knowing that he sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for your sin. He paid the price that you owe to God. He shed his blood for you. And he raised Jesus from the dead. And you too, by believing, professing, confessing your sin, would live that resurrected life. For those who have done that, praise God, amen. We live the resurrected life now because we're told eternal life began at the very moment that we confess Christ as Lord. And we do so waiting for the Savior to come for his church. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray for your Holy Spirit to bring edification and speak your truth to us throughout this week, Lord, from your word and from the absolute truth that you are a God of justice. You're a God of refuge. Lord, we're so thankful that as we stood before the cross, Your son poured out his blood that we might have life. And not just life, but abundant life in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for your spirit upon these precious people here today, Lord, and those that might be listening. Lord, that you would fill them in such a way that they would be strengthened, not just merely living, but living for you, Lord, living with the peace that you offer, living with the absolute knowledge that God is our refuge. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. May you bless your people abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message or about following Christ, you can contact us at cccincinnati.org. Calvary Chapel, Cincinnati. Simply teaching the Bible simply. <laughs>